Welcome to the fourth episode in our new series of audio briefings, exploring key aspects of company law. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Suzanne Carney of Council in Corporate and M&A at Arthur Cox. I'm Ashlyn Carey, Professional Support Lawyer in the Corporate and M&A Department at Arthur Cox. And I'm Tom Courtney, Partner in Arthur Cox. Today, as part of our Company Law Back to Basics series, we are focusing on the Summary Approval Procedure, or SAP as it is often referred to. The Summary Approval Procedure is one of the key innovations introduced under the Companies Act 2014. Once again, it's a great opportunity for our listeners to get Tom's insight on the background and origins to this provision. As Tom was chair of the Company Law Review Group, who advised on many aspects of the Companies Act 2014, including the summary approval procedure. But first, Ashley, perhaps you would give our listeners an overview on the summary approval procedure. Sure, Suzanne. The summary approval procedure is a streamlined validation process that, as you mentioned, was introduced by the Companies Act 2014 and enables certain companies to carry out certain restricted activities that would otherwise be prohibited or in some cases would require the consent of the High Court. The restricted activities are listed in the Companies Act and some of the ones that we frequently encounter in practice include reductions in share capital, financial assistance, domestic mergers and members' voluntary liquidations. And Tom, for those of us who are familiar with the previous Companies Acts, and in particular the whitewash procedure for financial assistance, this new innovation has been very welcome. How and why was the new validation procedure developed? Yes, Suzanne, that's very true, although I'm sure we may have many listeners who have qualified since 2015 and who may not even have heard of the term whitewash. The Summary Approval Procedure, or SAP, is a really good example of the new and the old in the Companies Act 2014. On the one hand, it's an innovation since there was no comparable procedure in the Companies Acts 1963 to 2013, while on the other hand, it's not really novel at all since there were actually three similar procedures in the old legislation. The SAP has its philosophical origins in the CLRG's first report, where the CLRG recognised that there were three distinct procedures providing exemptions to corporate procedures which were otherwise prohibited on the grounds that they could prejudice the interests of the two most important stakeholders in company law, namely creditors and shareholders. These procedures operated on the basis that shareholders were asked to consent by means of a special resolution and that creditors were protected if the directors could declare that the company would be solvent after the activity. And in some cases, this was verified by an independent report. Tom, what activities did those procedures relate to? So the procedures in Section 60 of the 63 Act concern the provision of financial assistance in connection with the purchase of a company's own shares. The procedure in Section 34 of the 90 Act concerned the provision of a guarantee or security in connection with a loan, etc., for a director. And Section 256 of the 63 Act related to the voluntary winding up of a company. This recommendation from the CLRG was that there should be just one procedure which would operate as a sort of universal wrench, expanding and contracting and adopting to the various requirements of particular prohibitions as if there were different sized bolts. By naming the procedure the Summary Approval Procedure, the Act shows that what is involved is not in fact a whitewashing at all insofar as that conjures up an image of a cover-up, but a quick or summary means of all relevant stakeholders giving their approval for an otherwise restricted activity. Tom, I mentioned some of the more common restricted activities earlier, 
But it's worth noting for our listeners that there are in fact a total of seven restricted activities under the Act, which the SAP may be used to validate. What was the rationale behind adding additional activities to the list? So while the CLRG's first report referred only to three prohibitions, as it considered restricted activities such as the reduction of share capital, in other work programmes, the CLRG determined that these two could be permitted with safeguards and so recommended the addition of these in a common validation procedure. As a result, the SAP can now be utilised to validate seven different activities that would otherwise be prohibited. First, financial assistance for the acquisition of shares. Second, the reduction in company capital. Third, the variation of company capital on reorganisation. Fourth, the prohibition on using pre-acquisition profits or losses for a distribution. Fifth, the prohibition of loans, etc., to directors and connected persons. Sixth, the approval of mergers. And finally, putting companies into members' voluntary winding up. It might be helpful to discuss briefly what is involved in the summary approval procedure process itself. Although the process varies in respect of certain restricted activities, the key points of note are the directors of the company must make a written declaration as to the solvency of the company and the shareholders must approve the restricted activity by passing a special resolution. And it's important to note that in the case of a merger only, the shareholder resolution is required to be unanimous. Moreover, it is an essential part of the procedure that the director's declaration is filed with the Registrar of Companies not later than 21 days after the start of the restricted activity. This is very important as the validity of the restricted activity is ultimately dependent upon compliance with the filing obligation. While the Act permits the ability to apply to the High Court to validate the carrying on of the restricted activity, that is certainly not an application that anyone wants to be making. The Companies Act provides that the declaration must be made by all or a majority of the directors of the company at a meeting of the directors. In terms of timing, the declaration must be made no earlier than 30 days before the shareholder resolution is passed. We're often asked whether the declaration can be approved by written resolution of the directors, but the Companies Act clearly envisages a meeting and therefore the declaration must be made by the directors together at a board meeting whether that board meeting is physical or virtual. Another popular question is whether the declaration can be made in counterpart, and the answer is yes, it can. This may occur, for example, where the directors are meeting together from separate locations via an electronic meeting, provided such a meeting format is not prohibited under the Constitution. It is important, however, that the directors make the declaration at the same time, that is, during the board meeting in question, but their signatures may be on separate copies of the same declaration. And another question I'm sometimes asked is whether there is any prescribed format for the director's declaration. So while the CRO have provided declarations in the form of CRO forms, it is important to note that the use of these forms is optional and there is no format prescribed by legislation. And the directors may use a format of declaration of their choice, provided it includes the necessary consent specified in the Act. In terms of content, the Companies Act is very prescriptive as to the content of the declaration, which varies depending on the nature of the restricted activity. However, in all cases, the declaration must include confirmation that a full inquiry has been made into the affairs of the company and the director's opinion that the company will be able to pay its debts and liabilities as they fall due for a period of 12 months. Tom, you've previously mentioned that directors should not make this declaration lightly. 
Yes, absolutely, Suzanne. Directors must ensure that they have reasonable grounds for making the confirmation as to solvency of the company. Directors must make a full inquiry into the company's affairs, not least because if it transpires that the company is insolvent within the period of 12 months, the High Court may order that the directors are personally responsible without limitation for all or any of the company's debts or other liabilities. One noteworthy feature of the summary approval procedure is the report of an independent person opining that the director's declaration is not unreasonable. The independent person is someone that is qualified to be the company's statutory auditor, but it need not be the company's auditor. However, we are seeing in practice that this report is typically issued by the company's auditors, and as a result is commonly referred to as the auditor's report. Ashton, the report of the independent person is not required to accompany the director's declaration for all restricted activities. Which activities require the report as part of the SAP? That's right, Suzanne. The independent person's report is required in four of the seven restricted activities. In the case of a reduction of share capital, variation of share capital on a reorganisation, the treatment of a subsidiary's pre-acquisition profits and a member's voluntary liquidation. Once the director's declaration is made, a copy of it, accompanied by the auditor's report, where required, is circulated to the shareholders with notice of a meeting or where a written resolution is proposed attached to the resolution. The special resolution, which as we noted earlier, must be unanimous in the case of a merger, effectively sanctions and confers authority on the directors to carry out the restricted activity. The shareholder resolution must be passed not more than 12 months prior to the commencement by the company of the restricted activity. This period is reduced to 60 or in some cases 30 days where the SAP is used to deal with pre-acquisition profits. And the shareholder resolution must be filed in the CRO within 15 days of the date on which it is passed. In reality, the director's declaration and the shareholder resolution often occur on the same day. And there is no prohibition on this, provided the necessary timescales in the act are complied with. Sometimes the board meeting will be adjourned briefly to facilitate the passing of the shareholder resolution. And in such cases, it is advisable to ensure that the proceedings are fully minuted so that the chronology is clear and demonstrably compliant with the Act. Finally, it's important to be aware that not all companies can use the summary approval procedure to validate the activities we have been discussing. The SAP is available to LTDs, designated activity companies, companies limited by guarantee and unlimited companies. PLCs may only use the SAP to affect a member's voluntary liquidation, treatment of pre-acquisition profits and for the making of loans etc to directors or connected persons. In addition, a private subsidiary company of a PLC may not use the SAP to provide financial assistance for the acquisition of shares in its PLC parent. Also, any company with a restricted person as a director or company secretary, for example, someone who is restricted under Section 819 of the Act following an insolvency, cannot use the SAP except in respect of a member's voluntary liquidation. Thanks, Tom. We hope our listeners found this overview of the summary approval procedure helpful. Before we wrap up today's episode, we're going to look at briefly some of the recent corporate law developments from the last few weeks. ESG reporting continues to take centre stage in recent updates. We saw the publication of the Taxonomy Climate Delegated Act, which establishes the technical screening criteria for climate migration and adaption activities supporting the EU taxonomy regulation. A further delegated act under the taxonomy regulation 
this time setting out the content and methodology for non-financial disclosures under Article 8 of the Taxonomy Regulation is due to be published by the Commission shortly. And this delegated act has been available in draft form for consultation. Ashling, are there any other developments of note? Yes, staying with the topic of ESG-related disclosures, in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority is currently consulting on a proposed extension of climate-related disclosures to standard listed issuers. Premium listed issuers are already subject to these requirements since January of this year. Finally, the Irish government has published the Companies Rescue Process for Small and Micro Companies Bill 2021, which aims to provide an alternative to examinership for small and micro companies. We noted previously that the general scheme of the bill included proposals to make permanent the temporary amendments to the Companies Act in relation to virtual general meetings. Those proposed amendments were not, however, included in the bill. I think it's a shame that this provision was dropped because now it means that companies which would like to hold electronic meetings as the norm into the future will have to amend their constitutions to do so. It is perhaps timely for companies to review their requirements and talk to us now if they would like to amend their constitutions to fully facilitate virtual meetings. Thanks, Tom and Ashling. That concludes this episode in our series of audio briefings. If you have any questions on anything we discussed today, or if there is any particular issue or topic you would like to hear more about, please feel free to contact Tom, Ashling, or myself, or your usual Arthur Cox contact. We'll be back with a new episode next month. In the meantime, thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you.